0: You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5. With me, Luke chapter 5. If you are a first-time guest, um, one of those gifts that Pastor Jeremy was talking about was this beautiful coffee mug. So uh, if you want a coffee mug, Go to the Connection Desk at the end of the service. If you're one of our members, they're (laughs) $15,000. So, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, um, my wife and I had uh, just a joy and a pleasure this week to get away on a senior pastor's marriage retreat. And uh, several of the things that we did there revolved around rest and uh, seeking time with the Lord and... Uh, being quiet in His presence. Um, and as I was doing that, I was reflecting a little bit on our text today as we continue to walk through this gospel account from Luke. And we're in this series called Fresh Air, and it's our final week of Fresh Air before we launch into the next segment of it, launching on Easter Sunday. And uh, the Lord was working in my heart, as I hope that He always does in my, in my preaching and preparation and one of the things that he, he said to me, uh, or I guess one of the things that I said to him, I should say better, was, L- Lord, you say that I am a new creation in Christ. You, you say over and over again in Scripture that, you know, I can be like a tree planted by water and new fresh things are rushing in and freshness would then be rushing out. But Lord, I don't feel so new. I feel tired, I feel run down, I feel the weight of life, my job, my family, all the things, God, I'm just not feeling new. Maybe you have felt that way. Maybe you feel that way today. And one of the things that I think this text is going to push us to and have us really kind of lean in is this idea And maybe for some of you it's a new idea. Maybe it's an idea that you've known for a while. But God is so much more than you think He is. I heard a worship leader say this week that one of the beauties of our Lord is that the ways to know Him, the ways to encounter Him, are immeasurable. That They are infinite. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get put in this place and I put God in a box and I begin to think about this sovereign creator Lord in very finite ways you know what I'm saying I've been to church my whole life I know these scriptures I know what he says in this place and there comes a point where if I'm not careful in my flesh I said but God is there more because I've learned, I've studied, I've prayed, I've sat, I've gone to church, I've given, I've served, I've done all the things, but God is there more. And one of the things he said to me this week was there's always more, there's always new. And as we lean into what is kind of the Super Bowl of our faith, the, the moment, and it's really the Super Bowl, so that, in case we all know this, you know, every Sunday is a Sunday to celebrate resurrection. I don't know if you knew that or not. But every Sunday. I mean, you, you could even go every day, but we, we gather specifically as a church on Sunday because of the third day. But specifically, Easter is this Super Bowl because there will be people here next weekend who haven't been here in a while. There will be people here next weekend who have maybe never, ever gone to church. That's what we're praying for. You see these these fish down here in this net. That's what we've been praying for for about seven weeks now. That there will be people who have been floating along life with one idea of God and creation and the world and all of that. And my prayer is that next week, Through our prayers and through the sovereignty and the Holy Spirit of who he is, he has drawn them into this place so that we can proclaim the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel isn't just when I get up here and preach. I don't don't know if you all know that about Sunday. When we gather together at 10.05, for those of you that serve, and we pray and we begin to prepare our hearts, that's a proclamation of the gospel to each other. When, when we serve in our different capacities as door holders, as people who are uh, serving with the little kids and the, the all-stars, like, that like is a proclamation of the gospel. When you're in this room and we sing songs and we declare the things of God back to Him, that is a proclamation of the gospel. The way that you respond in worship, specifically next week, will be a proclamation of the gospel because someone will walk in this room next week and they're going to watch what we do. I'm like, is that church really crazy? Are, those, are there people running up and down the aisles, helicoptering, kind of do, right? Are they stoic? When, when they say it's all about you, and we declare it at the top of our lungs, is this what we look like? It's all about you, right? It makes me believe it, right? When we, when we open the Word of God... And we talk about how glorious and how great and how grand He is. Do we want more? Are, are, are we ready? Do we have our Bibles out? Is the thirst there? Because that is what is preaching the gospel to others, to each other. And the idea that God is so much more than we could ever imagine is something that the people in this text, as we unpack here in just a moment, lost. That they, they try to put God in this box. They thought they knew the ways of God. They thought they understand how He worked. And then God in the flesh shows up in their world, in the middle of their situations, and they go, yeah, you can't be God because you don't work like this. And they had completely missed not something that was hidden. That's, I think that's the part that we lose. We think that Jesus all of a sudden came and maybe flipped the script because we say that in different ways and in different ways he did. But overall, what happened was we put blinders on to who God was. We tried to put God in this box. And what is so great about today in this text, as we gather for Palm Sunday as king read that scripture for us the king is here and so no matter what idea that you have about god no matter how tired you are no matter what weight you bring into this place the king is here and he's here to lift the burden and he's here to make a new way he's here to give you new life He's here to give you rest. He's here to give you restoration and redemption. He is here to be what you need. The question is, are you ready to lay down your stuff? Are you ready to lay down your palms so that the Lord can ride in and set you free? That's what we're going to look at this morning. These ideas that we put God in this box, and I pray that at the end of today, we'll walk away with a new revelation that points to the clarity and the perfection of who God is. So let's dive into this text. So what we have is we have three different moments, beginning here in Luke 5, verse 33. We have three different groups of people, three different moments where someone is going to come to Jesus. And they're going to question Him. They're going to question how He operates. Because at this point, He has made it very clear He is the Messiah. And people are still wrestling with what that means because they have their preconceived notions of who God is. And so we're going to begin with a text that if you've ever Googled um, fasting in the Bible, you have probably been taken to this text. And if you're anything like I was the first 15 times I was taken to this text... I went and looked at Google like, thanks, but no thanks. That didn't help me out at all. Because the title in most of your Bible says, Questions About Fasting. But after you read this, without a uh, secondary glance and without maybe some deeper study, I don't think you really get any answers <laughs> when you get to these questions about fasting. But let's dive in and hopefully I can get you some answers and I can get you some, uh, to a place to understand a little more about fasting, but most importantly, a little more about God. Verse 33 and they said to him, Now, before I keep reading, I want you to know that Luke in this text kind of connects the, the scene from last week where uh, Matthew, the tax collector, had gathered a, a table of quote unquote sinners together, and Jesus is at the table with them. And what Luke is doing is he's more so connecting to the people when he says, And they, rather than the scene. Of the table, And you can gather that by reading the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and John. So this moment when he says, they said to him, isn't, hey, they're still necessarily sitting at the table. In case you go back and you're reading Luke. It's really some of these Pharisees who had been questioning Jesus in the previous moment about, why are you eating with sinners? He is now coming and saying, these same people. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast, meaning John the Baptist. They fast often and offer prayers. And so do do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, Jesus, man, they eat and drink. And then Jesus says to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also then told them a parable: No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does the new, or he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. Alright, so let's, let's kind of understand. You see what I'm saying there about that moment where you go, hey, let me figure out all the details about fasting, how many days, what should I eat, what I shouldn't eat, because that's what we're all asking when we go, give me details about fasting, Bible, right? And you go to that text and you go, I got zero details from that. Because it's, a, it's about a deeper thing. So in Judaism, specifically in Pharisaic Judaism, The culture of fasting was uh, deep. It was entrenched into their society. Uh, Many times they would have fasted twice a week. And then they had special holidays where they would fast. They had week-long celebrations where they would fast. Fasting was kind of a part of their life. It was just something that they did consistently. Unlike probably most of us in this room where fasting may or may not happen once a year. Maybe during the Lenten season where we prepare for Easter, some of us give up something or do something like that. But for the most part, most of you in the room, myself included, don't really fast on the regular. We can say we fast for breakfast, but it's really we just don't eat breakfast, right? We can say we fasted at that meal, but we probably just got too busy. Fasting is this moment where we have set something aside, specifically food, so that we can then kind of put this physical need and we say that God is more. He, he meets our needs. We will rely on Him rather than the physical things of this world. And so they have been built up and trained that you fast. But yet Jesus' disciples, and when you see disciples in this text, think people who follow Him. So John the Baptist had people who followed Him. Kind of, you, you could, in a, in a way, think of you know, going to church, right? Different churches in our community have different pastors and I'm not saying this in this, you know, hopefully you read me in the right way, but you could say like disciples of Pastor Chris. Don't say that. That's weird. That becomes a cult in 2023. (laughs) But that's kind of the idea, right? So you have John the Baptist, you have the Pharisees who have their people, and you have Jesus who has his people. And the people who have been following Jesus aren't fasting. They're not observing any of these things anymore. And so they're looking at Jesus like, hey, bro, what's going on? And Jesus responds with some language that might get lost on us today. And basically what he's saying is at a wedding, when the party, who, the people who the party is thrown for, when they show up, when the bride and groom are together, the party's happening. There is no need for the party to cease. Because fasting was something for our hearts to reflect on difficulty. Loss, struggle. So when we came into moments where we needed to hear from God, or we need to remind ourselves that we rely on God, fasting was the tool given to us to do that. And so Jesus is saying, "There is nothing sad about what's happening right now. Like the party is here, because I am here." Now He continues. He said, "But there will be a day. There will be a time." where I am no longer here. Now, we don't know exactly if everyone understood what was going on. I'm sure that they didn't because you can read, they didn't understand things like at the Lord's Supper, you know, later. Much later. And so I'm sure it kind of fell on deaf ears, but it's one of those moments, again, that Jesus is teaching us that He has come as the Messiah, but His sole purpose was not to just come and have a few good teachings and then die. His his purpose was to come be the embodiment. Be, be God in the flesh. Show us that He can connect with us because He's gone through similar struggles that you and I have gone through. Make it through with perfection. Die a death that He was not guilty of. And then come back from the dead. Revealing His strength and His sovereignty over sin, hell, and death. And He says, if you believe in Me, then I will wipe away All tears, all sin, all pain. I will give you freedom in Christ. And again, I don't think that they get the full picture of that in this moment. But he is saying, there's something that you're missing. You're holding on to this old idea. And you're missing the new right in front of you. And so that is this kind of portion in this idea, this discussion of fasting. I could, I could go in deeper to wineskins and what that means. And basically, they used to make those, those sacks of wineskins out of the necks of animals. And so they were really only good kind of one time because as you put wine in there, it expanded. And if you did it in an old neck, well, you'd lose your wine, right? And so there's this moment where God is using some teachings and some things that they would understand to kind of reveal back to them that, hey... The old has gone and the new has come, but not gone in the way that you think. See, we, we can be guilty of that if we're not careful in the New Testament. We read the New Testament. I've heard Christians say, I don't really read the Old Testament. I just really to read the New Testament. And if you read the New Testament without ever fully grasping the Old Testament, or even like pseudo understanding it, you're going to miss the beauty of Jesus. You're going to create an idea about this Messiah, this Savior that is going to be skewed because Jesus is coming and saying, no, 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 I am. He said that a couple of weeks ago in our text, meaning I haven't changed. I'm the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You just missed the original picture. And so I'm coming in flesh incarnate right in front of you to show you who I am. That's the first scene, this picture of fasting. The second scene, chapter 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath, remember that's Saturday. That's a holy day. That's a day of rest. While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grains, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, "Don't you always wonder, like, bro? Don't you have something better to do than watch these people like every moment? You got nothing better to do in your life? Okay, turn the TV on. Anyway, why are you doing what is not lawful to do?" On the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was angry, hungry, excuse me? He and those, he he was hangry, sorry. He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those with him, and he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Alright, so it's this Sabbath day, this day of rest. They had many laws. You can read them in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and other places where they were not to prepare or cook food. They needed to already have some things prepared. Uh, many ways, many times, they, they fasted on that day. That wasn't necessarily a law, but it was certainly a law that you could not prepare and then cook food. And so the Pharisees witness these disciples walking through the grain fields and grabbing it and kind of winnowing it in their hand, so to speak, so that the kind of chaff would fall, and then they would have the wheat nuts right there in their their hand, and they could just eat them. And so they saw this as work. Now, if you know anything about that process, that was the easy way. There was a lot of other ways. that used tools, and this was also, like I say, the easy way. You got less out of it, so it wasn't efficient. And so what Jesus is showing them is that not all things the way you think they work, work that way. You, you have kind of put some, some ideas of who God is in a box. And so he refers them back to this passage in 1 Samuel where, where David is with his people and they've, they've gone through kind of a hard time and they were hungry and so they began to eat bread that was yet only for the priest. And yet David grabs it. He eats it and then he hands it out. And it's this idea, this picture... He summarizes at the end. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Do not be so legalistic in some of the things that we have taught before. Do not completely miss the point. And it's going to go further in his third moment, his third interaction with someone. So you could, if, if all we had was that, you go, hold on, what does that mean about the Sabbath? Were they supposed to have rested? Were they not supposed to have rested? But then Jesus goes further with this third picture in verse 6 on another sabbath so luke is intentionally connecting these two things for us so we have one sabbath and he says on another sabbath and it's very intentional that these things back to back so there's not a loose connection there's a direct connection because we can leave that first story again going okay hold on so was Sabbath a good thing? Was it something that man made and not God? Well, we know that that's not true because it's in the Scripture. So what is, what is it supposed to do? What is it supposed to mean? Because there's not necessarily a complete and total picture that David did it because they were hungry one time. And so Luke connects it. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, watched that man watch Jesus to see whether he would heal on the sabbath i love going to pause there notice that they're aware of his healings they're aware of the mystery and the majestic nature of Jesus and yet they question they're not questioning how or necessarily you know why but they're looking into the law to see that they can catch him even in the miracle. Like, do you see that? Am I, the, like, am I, the, am I lost? Am I the only one here? Like, They see miracles. And they, they recognize them. And their number one question is, but is he going to use them in a way that isn't God-honoring to the way that we understand? Now, keep in mind, the miracles he's been doing have been nothing but good. Right? He's healed people. The blind man see. The paralyzed healed. Like all sorts of things have been happening. And they're not wondering, wow, how does this dude do miracles? They're wondering, how can we catch this dude doing miracles in a way that would violate our laws? The way we see how God should work. Continue on. Middle part of verse 7. So that they might find a reason to accuse Him. There it is. Verse 8, but he knew their thoughts. Again, they didn't say this out loud. Here's Jesus being Jesus. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come, come, stand here. And he rose and he stood there and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, well, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. See, the Pharisees were stuck in religion and not relationship. They were stuck in this place where they couldn't recognize the miraculous of God but could only lean in on the understandings and the laws and the walls that they've put around God. They didn't even answer the question. I'm not even sure if he gave them time to answer the question. So he unpacks this idea of Sabbath, similar to the Good Samaritan, that, that picture of, do we just walk by broken people, broken situations, because it's our Sabbath day? When the Lord presents an opportunity to help, to heal, to go to someone. Do we just let it go by? And Jesus in the affirmative says, absolutely not. We help. We be the people who God has called us to be. We are to help. We are to push We are to point people back to who God has created them to be. And so I'm reading this text this past week, and I'm wrestling with this idea of not feeling new, right? This idea of, you know, God, I serve you, I love you, I trust you, I do all these things, but I'm just, my tank is empty, and through this story, God reveals to me ways that I put him in a box, ways that I have looked at him as someone who can sit back until I need him, because I've got this situation here, right? I can, I can do and lead my family, God, I, you, you, can, you can just sit back there, when something hard comes up, I'll... I'll tap your shoulder. We'll, we'll, we'll WWE it, and I'll tag you in, right? You can jump the ropes, and I'll go sit. When, when pastoring gets too difficult, God, I'll, I'll give it to you. When having the hard conversation with someone who has a broken heart, okay, God, I'm going to give you that one, right? You can have that one first. I don't want to deal with that. It's hard. But in your life, in your situations, where are the places that you have looked at God and said, you know what, this is the picture that I have of you. Don't function outside of that. Don't work outside of the way I've painted your portrait. Because I've got a really good looking picture and I don't want you to mess it up. We get to this place of hardened hearts. A place where we're no longer listening to the Holy Spirit. We don't slow down enough to even experience God. And then we wake up and we wonder why things in our life are fractured. And we're disconnected and we're broken, and we don't understand, and yet God has been saying the entire time, what you have done is you have created an idol. You're no longer worshiping at the throne of Jesus. You're worshiping at the throne of someone who you think is Jesus. This manufactured place. And so I want to create a moment. We're going to put on some music and kind of change the the vibe in here because I, I want to make sure that as we lead out of this season of calling us to be fishers of men, which by the way, that calling for your life doesn't have seasons. Now, we might have seasons where we emphasize things differently in the church, but the calling for you as a Christ follower to be a fisher of men doesn't come and go. It has came, and it is on you. Wherever you go, that's your calling. But I I want us to reflect. I want us to think about the people in our life who if it was not for Jesus moving through us and giving them a card like this and inviting them to Easter, or even the Easter egg hunt, Or tagging them on Facebook or putting that yard sign in our yard, whatever means that you have taken or can still take, if it wasn't for that moment, where would they be with Jesus? Where would their image of God be? In order for us to have fresh air and be renewed and revived by the gospel. We can't hold the gospel. You've heard it said many times probably by me and other pastors, but just as the gospel came to you, it's moving through you to someone else. And if you aren't a part of that process of the moving, maybe you have missed the picture of the gospel. Maybe you've created a false God just like these Pharisees who, with God standing directly in front of them, they've missed this picture. And so I, I want to I call us to reflect for just a moment, to spend a moment or two in prayer as the band comes up. And then I'll close in just a moment. But I want you to spend a moment praying, asking God to seek your heart. Where are you? Where are your Images, your fractured pictures of God. Where are the, the idols, the little g gods in your life that you have unknowingly, maybe not on purpose, put in the place of Jesus? I want you to ask. Ask him to reveal him to you, reveal himself to you right now for just a moment. So if everyone will bow their heads and just reflect. Don't go to sleep. But just reflect spend a few moments with the Lord. You know, one of the definitions of insanity is doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result. Maybe you've come in this morning a lot like I was, feeling run down, tired, not feeling some new. Spend a moment asking God to renew and revive you through the freshness of who He is. The, the Gospel lens, that you were once separated from Him through your sin, through the, the bad decisions and the unrighteousness of who you were. But through the gift of Jesus on the cross and your acceptance and repentance and belief in Him, you have now been made a new creation, a chosen, adopted, redeemed son and daughter of the living God, and that person is new, the old has gone and the new has come, receive that this morning. I was sitting by a fire this past week and talking with people about my B.C. life, my my before Christ life. If we're not careful that B.C. life or even bad decisions made after we've given our life to Jesus can continue to erode away the new heart that God has given us. We feel callous to things. We, we, We stop leaning into who He has called us to be. So maybe an answer for you this morning to to, to receive fresh air, to be renewed, revived. Maybe an answer is repentance. Maybe there's some things in your life that you have not let go of and not turned from. Maybe some other things you just, I need to let go. They're not necessarily wrongdoings on my behalf, but I'm holding on to them and I can't figure out why. And maybe this morning you just need to know that you can let it go. He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. You can lay it down. Maybe that's you this morning. I pray that you'll let it down. You'll let it go. You'll breathe in the air of Jesus. For everyone in the room, no matter where you are, God has a purpose and a calling on your life. Down to the specifics of your job, where you are, the friends that you have. But even at the 50,000 foot level. And that calling, that purpose is to enjoy Him and to glorify Him. And guys, we have An amazing opportunity and responsibility in the next seven days to glorify Him in such a new and inviting way to so many. But we've got to be laser focused, we have to be so driven that everything in our lives becomes about Him. And that's my challenge as we leave this morning. We're going to sing a song that kind of encapsulates and moves our hearts to some of the old and brings into the new. And it's a song that's actually geared up for Easter. And really one of the main reasons we're doing it today is because next week when we do it, and it's going to hit. Like God has already kind of like ordained that moment. Like it's going to happen. I want our church, our people, our regulars, the folks who have a seat at the table to be leading the way. To be leading the charge on Easter Sunday when this room is filled two different times. To just be in awe of who God is. But my challenge for you of the next seven days is to be intentional. And I need you to hear me. This isn't like some church growth Easter strategy. This is kingdom growth, your calling strategy. And I'm just highlighting it around the biggest time in our culture. Because God highlights it all year. All day, every day. To be fishers of men. This past Wednesday, we prayed for fish. We've been praying for fish. And now it's our time to go cast and to go throw out reels. It doesn't happen through osmosis, right? Like, it's our calling over the next seven days to pray and to seek. So will you join me in doing that? Will you pray and will you seek? And I believe that through that process, man, God's going to bring fresh air into your life, into your marriages, into your relationships, into your job, into every aspect that you could, that that place where it was stale deadness, if you will submit and follow him, man, there's going to be a wind that moves. Here's something cool. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruah. That same word can also be translated as wind. Wind. I'm praying that Ruah moves in your life this week for the next seven days. And then when you leave that experience on Easter Sunday, you're going to go, God, thank you. And you'll be forever changed. No matter where you, even if you, you could be in this room this morning going, I don't have any relationship with Jesus at all. Ruah, God is coming to you. Just like the, the wind in spring. Without all the bees and stuff. He's coming. Seven days. Lean in with me. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna worship. We're gonna stand, we're gonna sing to the King of Kings to the Lord of Lords. God, I thank you for each and every one of the souls in this room. For those that'll listen later, I guess. God, I I pray that each and every one of us listening or in the room will respond to the calling. To first and foremost, to sit and be a child of the one true King. To know that in Christ alone, you have set us free. That Jesus paid it all. That you have blessed us, you have redeemed us, and you have put us in the heavenly realm. And it is from that place of declaration, of understanding, of identity that we walk in the freedom of who you are. The freedom that you have made us whole. We are no longer fractured and broken and damned, but God, we are free. We are restored, we are resurrected in new life, we await new bodies. God, we are thankful that you have called us to new things, and we don't function in the old little g-gods and idols that we, have. we were made by this world to create through our sin, but God, we function in the fullness and the of freedom of who you are. Help us for the next seven days to lean into you. Even if we're not coming to Piedmont on Sunday or we're going somewhere else, God, help us lean in to the calling that you have in our life. That we find freedom and hope and rescue and rest in you. And from that place, we go out and we make a declaration of the glory of God in all things. That you have redeemed and you are calling for this world to come home. Breathe fresh air on our lives. Help us to be like that tree that's planted by water where the refreshment and the renewal comes in and we pass it to another. God, we are trusting in you. We are believing in you for this. Move in this place. Help us to gather so that we can then scatter. It's in your son's name I pray and God's people said,